0: Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world.
1: These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion
2: is advised. Okay. Welcome to
1: Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Irish Mythology. I'm your hostess, Ashley, and with me today, as always, are the fabulous and funny, Emily and Lindsay.
2: Hey. Hi. Hi. I remembered my name this time. Yes, you did.
0: (laughs) I'm Emily. (laughs) I'm so proud of you.
2: I know.
1: You're doing great. I'm not, but you are. (laughs) So I am going to go ahead and read some sources. I've got a whole bunch of them, but I'm going to cheat like I did last time and just lump the websites together or we'll be here for a while. (laughs) So these are my sources for today's really dark story.
0: <laughs> dun dun dun!
1: Yes, that's perfect. Perfect ominous tune. <laughs> uh, so the first one here is JP Reedman's "Smoke from the Sawin Fires: Four Tales from the Celtic Shadows."
2: Ooh. You said Sawin. I did. You did it right. I know I checked. Everybody says Sam Hain and that is not right.
1: Well, the sad news is we're not going to talk a lot about Sawin because I'm doing that for October because we're doing the Halloween stories mm-hmm. then. So, we're not going to talk a lot about it, but I'm going to have to say it a few times. Hopefully I don't mess it up any of those times because they got it wrong mm-hmm. on Supernatural and that messed me up for a oh, really long yeah. time. <laughs>
2: Sam Hain left and right in Supernatural. It was like, (laughs) oh!
1: Yeah. Well, because of that, I thought that's how you said it for a really long time. But I know better now. (laughs) Age brings wisdom, but also wrinkles. (laughs) (laughs) So I also used um, an article from the Emerald Isle website called The Fall of Krom Kruak. I used a metric fuck ton of pages from Wikipedia, so just going to say Wikipedia. Uh, It's a lot of Wikipedia. I am sorry, but also not really. I'm only, you know what? It takes a long time to read through all this stuff, and sometimes I Mm -hmm. need to double check. Like, I'll read an article on another website, and it'll be like the such and such period. I don't fucking know when that was. Guess where I'm going to go check? Wikipedia. (laughs) Yep. Okay, Um. let's skip down. I have an article by Prontius Makana on Celtic religion, and that's from Encyclopedia Britannica. I also used an article on Moloch from Encyclopedia Britannica. Then I used a page from History.com called Who Were the Celts? It was very informative. If you want to know who the Celts were, you should read it. I learned <laughs> Listen, I learned a lot of stuff about the tribes. A lot of stuff. Um, I also used an article from the Royal Irish Academy called The Annals of the Four Masters. And finally, please don't say this wrong. <laughs> uh, I used a page on Lopochtli from the World History Encyclopedia. So I think I did okay.
2: I'm gonna go with that sounds right, but I also have no idea what you're going for. So
1: it's an Aztec god, and I think I'm close ah. enough. Um, I feel a little like I might have fucked it up, but also they have so many syllables. I'm not really <laughs> sure I remember where to put the stresses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The the all the sounds I made were right, for sure. <laughs> I feel like... Oh, no, I did. Oh, I accidentally skipped one. Sorry. There's one more source um, from the Mythical Ireland website. I used a page called Myths and Legends, The Metrical Vincentious, Volume 3. I skipped that one because it was next to the Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I'm sure I was supposed to say that other word that I'm really bad at. And I didn't have to, so something's wrong. All right. So... Before we get started, as always, we've got context, and holy shit, is there a lot of it this time. (laughs) Uh, Some of it is because I wasn't sure I knew what the hell I was talking about, and some of it is just because, like, it's really cool. So I'm not going to apologize. I probably added some stuff we don't necessarily need, but also, I wrote it, so I get to decide. (laughs) I'm the <laughs> decider. <laughs> I just want George W. Bush. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be okay. We're not going to Texas. We're going to Ireland. So in order to understand today's story, we also need to understand some things about the history and the religion of the Celts. Firstly, the Celts were not a homogeneous unit. Rather, they were a collection of tribes originating in Central Europe. Kind of like uh, when we talked about the Iroquois in our North American mythology episode, Mm -hmm. they were basically grouped together due to some similarities in language, cultural practices, and religious beliefs, but they're not one thing. So I honestly didn't know that before now, Uh, but you know what? I'm glad I do. gotta learn things in life. So while there are, like I said, similarities in those areas, there were also cultural differences between the tribes as well. I think it's important to keep that in mind because it's easy to lose sight of that, given how many of my sources just talk about Celtic culture like that's a thing, when actually (laughs) it's a bunch of things, it's kind (laughs) of like a big mosaic. Mm -hmm. That's how I like to think of it. It's not one thing. It's a mosaic of things. Which
2: is actually probably more beautiful,
1: if we're honest about it.
2: I mean, the 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 Celts were like Ireland, Scotland, England, but they were also over in like France, weren't they?
1: Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna touch on I think some of the countries, maybe. Also, a lot of countries changed names, mm-hmm. so that's gonna be fun too. Because we're going way back in time for this one, which honestly, I like it better that way. I don't know what my dog is doing, but I'm very worried about
0: it. I'm very scared. She's trying to go back in time.
2: Probably. I hope she's not successful. (laughs) She secretly built a way back. (laughs) Oh my god. She has a
1: DeLorean somewhere, and we're never going to get through it.
0: She's trying to power up her own DeLorean by, like, running around in circles.
1: You know, I'm pretty sure she's eating plastic. I will be right back, because I need to stop that. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) River! (laughs) River! Oh, she's mad at me now. Okay, so some of the tribes included in the overall group known as the Celts were the Gaels, the Gauls, the Britons, call back to the Bluebeard episode because we talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about them then, Mm -hmm. the Galatians, and the Irish. So it's not all of them, but it's a good number of them. It is thought that Celtic cultures began to evolve around... 1200 BCE Dang Yeah, that hurts me because I don't, I can't even try to fathom how long ago that was (laughs) It breaks my brain
0: I'm picturing lots of grass And And
2: rocks rocks. (laughs) 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 Oh my
0: god What were the odds of
2: that We're the same person
0: (laughs) Grass and rocks as far as the eye can see (laughs)
1: when i try to contemplate really long ago in history it breaks my brain kind of like the eye in jeremy barrami breaks chidi's brain in the good place so that's the level of existential crisis we're talking about but it's fine i can totally do this Celtic tribes migrated from central Europe and spread out over much of western Europe, including the modern-day countries of Britain, France, Spain, and Ireland. So, they were even in Spain, which I had no idea about that. Obviously, we talked about the France part of it and the Britain part of it and the Ireland part of it a little bit when we did Bluebeard, but we did not talk about Spain. So that's pretty cool. Their existence was documented in Roman writings from the 7th and 8th, 8th, wow, come on Ashley, 8th (laughs) centuries, those are not one word, don't squish them together, we're not (laughs) portmanteauing. But why? Because we can't make everything into a word pudding, (laughs) no matter how much I want to. Okay. So that's the 7th and 8th centuries BCE, so that's still way back. Um, The Romans referred to the Celts as Gali, meaning barbarians, because everything and everyone that wasn't Roman was considered barbaric. Isn't history fun? By the 3rd century BCE, the Celtic tribes controlled most of Europe to the north of the Alps. But the Romans were assholes, and they couldn't just let other people have land and freedom and stuff. So,
0: I can't, Lucy, I shouldn't. Have looked at you. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying so hard to be quiet.
1: You weren't being completely quiet. I made the mistake of looking. <laughs> so, beginning in the time of Julius Caesar, who would later be murdered,
0: <laughs> and be known as a delicious salad dressing. <laughs> Big nose salad
1: dressing. Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, The Romans decided to wage war on the Celts and everyone else who was anywhere near their territory because they wanted it. Think of the Romans as Ash Ketchum and literally every scrap of territory in Europe and much of Asia as Pokemon. So let's start uh, with the horrible stuff now. The Roman troops killed thousands of Celts, and seize control of most of their territory in mainland Europe. However, while the Romans, and later the Anglo-Saxons, took England from the Celts, neither group was ever able- ever abler. (laughs) 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 I can read. Neither group was ever able to capture Ireland, which allowed the Gales and the Irish who were settled there to continue to flourish. Much of what survives of Celtic cultural beliefs, traditions, etc. today comes from Ireland and, to a lesser extent, Great Britain. Unfortunately, the English, who in the tradition of the Romans were territory hungry vultures... (laughs) I did not, I did. (laughs) You're not wrong. I know. But every once in a while, I'm like, catch myself out here judging how harsh I was. And then I'm like, no, it's fair. Let's leave it in. Uh, They began colonizing Ireland in the 16th century. And by the 19th century, the Gaelic language largely disappeared. Although there still are living speakers of Gaelic today. Mm -hmm. Just not anywhere near as many as there were at one time. So let's talk Celtic religious beliefs, as these play a big role in our story today. Ancient Celtic religion, often referred to as paganism today, although that's not really the name of it, mm-hmm. can be definitely traced. Wow, that was supposed to say definitively.
0: But it can definitely be traced.
1: It can, but that's not what I meant. (laughs) What I meant was can be definitively traced back to at least the 5th century BCE. It likely extended farther back into history than that, but what we know today is based on what records and artifacts still survive. So we can definitely say it goes back at least that far and probably beyond that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a super old religion and sadly... Some of it got perverted, which sucks. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just cool that stuff that it survived from that long ago. That we know that it goes back at least that far. That's yeah, pretty cool.
2: it's pretty awesome. A lot of that has to do with the Romans when they would travel and they would write down. But uh, that then a lot of what you have is an issue with the Roman version of things, and it was propaganda to make the Irish look or the Irish the, the Celts look barbaric. Yeah, I actually touch on that in a little bit,
1: because that's 100% accurate. (laughs) Prior to the Gallo-Roman period, which began roughly the 1st century BCE through the 5th century CE, prior to that, as far as we know, the Celts did not have any temples. So the only surviving ones that we know of started around the time that they were interacting with the Romans. In terms of specifics, we know very little about ancient Celtic religious beliefs and practices. They believed in an afterlife, as they buried their dead with weapons, food, and other ornaments. The afterlife was often referred to as the Otherworld, and was said to be a land without disease and old age, where one's happiness was eternal. Other names for the Otherworld include Delightful Plain, Land of the Young and Land of the Living. Much of the surviving, somewhat contemporary writing from the old, sorry, about the old Celtic gods is unfortunately from the perspective of the Romans, Mm -hmm. who, given their disdain and hostility toward anything not Roman, were most likely not well informed on the subject and would have allowed their negative opinions about Celtic cultures to affect their writings on the matter. So, like Emily said earlier, it's basically propaganda, so you Mm -hmm. can't rely on it or consider it as completely accurate. Everything has to be taken with a grain of salt because it's from someone else's perspective and it's not someone who even tried to not be biased about the subject Mm -hmm. matter.
0: Well, that kind of also ties into, like, Emily's cryptid episode from India where, like, most of the writings... About the Jeremiah, who was that? The one or was it? What no, was that's the?
2: Australia. Are you talking about the um, the hyena one? The crocata. The, oh, the the crocata. The crocata. Yep. How I,
0: it was mainly like British or East or European people's perspective mm-hmm. of I- Indian writings.
1: Yeah, and that happened with the vit- that happened with the Vitala too, right?
2: Yeah, it was mostly the vitala that was the issue with because the crocata they actually saw the crocata. Oh, that's right. So they were describing, but the Vitala was the, the vampire that they translated from ancient texts, but they took wild liberties with it, so. This sounds accurate. Uh huh. This is a vampire, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to wait for you to answer. It's a vampire now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the mail takes way too long between <laughs> India and England. We're just going to go with it.
1: We do have some other written sources on the subject but these were written and published long after christianity became the dominant religion in ireland which happened in the 5th century ce so again it's not going to be exactly the way that it used to be it's at this point been heavily influenced by christianity which has now basically permeated the land the main two sources that impact today's story are the Annals of the Four Masters, written in Irish. Ugh. God, I'm going to mess up this name. Okay, they are written by a Franciscan monk, Brother McKeel O'Clery. I think. Sounds good to me. It's definitely not pronounced Michael, because <laughs> I would have been super wrong. I checked <laughs> it. Um, So it was written mainly by him, but he also had the assistance of several laymen, and it was compiled between January 1632 and August 1636. And while that, to us, sounds like it was still a long time ago, in terms of when they were actually practicing ancient Celtic religion, that's a big-ass gap. Yeah. Like, we're talking over a thousand years. So, <laughs> yeah, grain of salt. Grain of salt, I say. Um, anyway, this book is a history of Ireland dating back to 2242 BCE that chronicles the major events from then all the way through 1616. The second major work that helped with today's stories is Dind Sentius. That is a collection of 176 poems, in addition to some prose tales and commentaries. The author or authors of this work are unknown, so we have no idea who wrote this. Dinsentia's translates to place lore, and its contents purportedly tell the stories of how various places in Ireland got their names. That's cool. It's awesome. And it's never the way that you think it's going to be. So don't even try to guess. (laughs) You're going to be wrong. Uh, This survives in two recensions, which are revised editions of a text. One recension appears in the book of Leinster or Leinster. I forgot to look that one up. I am sorry. That is a 12th century manuscript. But some parts of the text date back to the 11th century, so that looks like it was compiled over at least like 100 years. The other recension is spread throughout 13 volumes, dating largely from the 14th and 15th centuries. And those include a number of poems written after the Book of Leinster was finished. So that that recension has more text to it both the Annals of the Four Masters and Dinsentius tell of the god who is the central figure of today's story, Kram Kruik. In the Annals, Crom is one of the only named gods in the text, while the Dinsentius focus on how Crom is related to the naming of Moy Schlacht. There are many variations and translations of the name Cruach, but the most prominent versions in English are the Crouching Darkness, mm. the Bent or Crooked One, mm. or the Head of the Mound.
0: I like all of those. They're very creepy. <laughs>
1: Things are going to get real creepy
0: real soon. I'm here for it.
1: I'm gonna ruin your life. I was gonna say, fuck my shit <laughs> up. <Just>
2: like yes, fuck my shit up.
1: It will probably also be helpful for you to know before we get started that the Fomorians are a supernatural race who were the enemies of the first settlers of Ireland. They are basically a representation of the chaotic and dark side of man, and were likely based at least in part on the Vikings. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. Is that because of the Irish-Viking interactions? It is.
1: um, I think it also has to do with some of the physical descriptions of Mm -hmm. the Filmorians, but I'm not going to really include too much of the physicality stuff. Uh, I am piecing today's story together from information coming from both of those historical sources that I mentioned which I was able to access in modern retellings from J.P. Reidman's Smoke from the Sawin Fires and from that page on the Emerald Isles website, The Fall of Kronkulik. All right, we're all finished with our appetizers. I'll be back with the main course right after this break.
2: Hey guys, my name is Rashad Jones and I am the host of Blood and Fire Water Podcast, a podcast where we shoot tequila... And chase it with a case of murder. Some cases may have been covered in other podcasts before, and that's okay. Allow us to just guide you back down that rabbit hole as we re examine the people, the places, and the things about your favorite cases. You can reach out to us on Instagram at Blood and Fire Water Podcast and Twitter at BFW Pod Squad. If you got a case you want to suggest, shoot an email to bloodandfirewater at gmail.com. Blood and Fire Water Podcast does contain explicit language and graphic content not suitable for all ages, so listeners' discretion is advised. Stay alert and stay alive.
1: And we're back. I hope you're hungry and that you like dark stuff because it's time for the main course. And this one <laughs> is not for the faint of heart. Alright, let's get these names in here. <laughs> During the reign of King Tejarnmas, son of Fulak, and the first king to smelt gold over 3,000 years ago, a Fomorian ship came across the ocean to Ireland. The Fomorians demanded from the Irish their gems, precious metals, and the means by which to shape them. King Tejarnmas called together the other Celtic chieftains To discuss these demands, and together they decided they would not give in to the Fomorians.
0: No, they were
1: going to keep their treasures.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is mine. Nah. You know,
1: we thought about it for like five whole minutes, and we don't want to do that. So get lost.
0: We've already licked all of them. It's ours. (laughs) It's
2: It's ours. We own it. (laughs)
1: Oh, I don't want to think what it would taste like if you licked precious metals.
2: Especially while smelting it. Oh, Oh,
1: you You wouldn't have a tongue anymore. You wouldn't have a tongue anymore. You'll never
0: taste anything ever again. Was it worth it?
1: No. I know, because I checked with Daenerys Targaryen's brother. I was
0: just thinking about that.
1: I can't remember his name, but, you know, he's dead and his head is now gold. So, congrats.
2: Dickhead, creepy motherfucker Targaryen, that's what his name was. Yeah.
0: Totally. It's a long name. Yeah. I have my sister.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. Whew. All right. Of course, that didn't go over very well with the Femorians, who sent Ishbal, their king's daughter, with a cohort of dark priests to Ireland in
0: response. Nothing's ever good when you got dark priests coming with you,
2: right? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I, I think. <laughs> it's so unsure about that. It's you were not, both so quiet. Was like, it's not good. <laughs> am I wrong? That's I'm just a thing. I'm just practicing
1: my police interrogation techniques, and apparently I'm getting very good because you doubted your story very quickly. <laughs> Maybe
0: they're really good at parties. I don't know. Now I feel
1: weird. It depends what kind of parties you're into. <laughs> uh, the cohort brought with them an idol made of gold, silver, and stone. This crooked form was Kruik, old above all other gods. They also carried 12 other figures cast in bronze. These were said to be Crom's guards and worshippers who turned to stone in the act of worshipping the bowed one. The Fomorians now bade to to construct a fortress to serve as a temple for these deities. In the interest of preserving the peace, the king complied and had the temple built. Upon its completion, the priests of Cruach brought his idol and the twelve bronze figures to the temple. The Fomorians then insisted the Gaels be summoned there to hear the judgment of the god. When the Gaels came, they were not inclined to bow in respect to the stone figures, so the Fomorians threatened them, saying their crops would wither to nothing. And their cows would run dry if they didn't bow their heads in worship in fear. the gales dropped to their knees and bowed down to the stones while the Fomorian priests looked on with smirks etched into their faces.
2: I just totally heard them in my head going, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Maybe they did that little (laughs) Dr. Evil pinky thing. I don't know. I wasn't there, because I'm only 1,500 years old, and this was from longer ago than that. (laughs) The dark god, Krom Kruik, ordered a large sacrifice be brought to appease his wrath. Here's where it's going to get kind of gross kind of quick. He demanded the firstborn of each family and each herd to be brought to his altar, where their heads were to be dashed upon his stone
0: form.
2: That's real gross.
0: It is gross. Well, now, I was picturing his form as like a tiny statue. Was he much bigger so, than a tiny so statue? I? <laughs> I was picturing him as like a 12-foot tall statue, or a 12-inch 12, 12 12 12 tall inch. statue. 12 Not like tall. He's 12 feet tall. He's so tiny. He's 12 feet. No,
1: he's, he's definitely bigger than 12 inches. I mean, I don't have exact measurements, but he's probably
0: several feet high. Okay. So more, so more man-sized. Closer to man-sized, yeah.
1: So only the blood of these sacrifices would ensure the richness of the land would endure. A great heart-wrenching cry came up from the people of Ireland in response to this command. Many of the Gaels threw themselves violently upon Crom's form and the surrounding rocks in a vain effort to strike him down and save their firstborn. Three-quarters of them, including King Tejernmus, died that Sawin, slain by Crom Cruach for their defiance of his will. Those who survived rose up in battle against the Fomorians, and they slaughtered the Fomorian chief, and as many others as they could lie hands upon. The surviving Fomors fled from Ireland in terror. Irish Bards sang songs over the fallen form of Tejernmus, commemorating his valiant struggle and preserving his memory and that of the other 4,000 of his people who died on that plain, which was thereafter known as Moy Schlacht, or the Plain of Prostration. In fear of the formidable and bloodthirsty Crom Cruick, the Celts continued to worship at his feet. On the night of Samhain, Crom rose up each year, no longer a stooped stone idol, but a tall figure that was cloaked in the golden rays of the sun, the very sun whose memory was on its way to perish at the winter solstice. People would come to Moishlacht from all around, their bodies smeared with ash and blue paint, wearing jewelry and carrying bags and drums made from the bones and skin of their ancestors.
2: No, I don't like that. Not a fan. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I'll pass. (laughs) Your grandma needs tuned. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) She's a little little off key this year. (laughs)
0: Oh my god, why? (laughs) Who has the extra string? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gross.
1: On the plain, they bent in supplication to Kromkruik to honor their treaty with the Otherworld so that their crops would grow, their cows would provide milk, and the human children would be born alive from the wombs of their mothers. The offerings came in three waves, as they had since the time of Araman. First came one third of their milk poured from pots adorned with mystical symbols onto the feet of Crom and his twelve stone minions. The supplicants would drink a portion well, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, the supplicants would drink a potion not a portion made from brewing mushrooms, Lindsay's favorite. <laughs> And other ingredients over a fire surrounded by
2: human bones. No, no, this is that's these—they're not for decoration, guys. Mm-mm. Are they for kindling?
1: Because they also use them as kindling.
2: Well, that—that that seems like it'd be really bad kindling because bones don't burn very well, do they?
1: No, but they have wood in there and stuff too, so it's like it all gets burnt together. Their bones were made of wood.
0: They were all Pinocchio children. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> they were all Pinocchio. My family. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I don't think Geppetto was there, um, but I'll double check later and let you know. It's so dark. The potion would induce an ecstatic state that commingled with their fear and pain, and then they would dance so forcefully for crumb that their feet caused the very earth to tremble beneath their feet until they dropped to their knees. So literally they would dance until they dropped.
2: Sounds like a good time. Sounds like a bunch of LSD. It's the magic mushrooms.
1: With a wild cry, the Celts dashed the pots that had borne the milk upon the base beneath Crom. So they dump out all the milk, they do their dance all hopped up on mushrooms. And then they smash pots.
2: (laughs) Sounds a little cathartic.
1: That part doesn't sound so bad, but I don't really want to... I would not ever want to do any kind of hallucinogen. I don't want to see what my brain would do with that because I know (laughs) it would be bad. Yeah. Okay, so in the second wave of sacrifice, young women arrived on the plane carrying massive bushels which held one-third of their grain. In their braided hair, the women had wheat sheaves interwoven, and upon their skin were sun whorls made with yellow pigment of ochre. Clad in ritual dancers' skirts, these young ladies wove around the 12 pillars of Crom's Ring, chanting and singing as they implored the bent one to push up the next year's harvest on his crooked back so that their tribe would not starve. From baskets, they hurled down corn and grain, which their dancing feet embedded into the earth where Cruach could taste the goodness. Finally, the old priest came, carrying a stone sickle nearly 1,000 years old. He was followed by a line of crying children, one-third of the firstborns. Oh no. Oh, it's gonna get a lot worse. No who were painted blue from head to foot. Outside the circle, the mothers wailed in grief and tore at their hair, but the sacrifice had to be made, and blood was required for the most powerful magic. A new fire was lit, representing the sun's glory and its life-giving force. The smell of the old bones fueling the fire hung heavily in the night air, as did the scent of collective fear. Then suddenly there was a blue flash from the sickle, and Crom was among them. His wizened form, partially shrouded by mists, could be seen by all present. His mouth, filled with the dripping spines of his victims, stood in his ragged head, and his body gleamed black, in the firelight. The worshippers screamed in a mixture of rapture, grief, and terror, but still they surged forward, dropping to the ground where they writhed and shared a hallucination of shooting stars brought on by the mushroom brew. They remained on the ground, wriggling like worms, as Crom claimed the little blue bodies of his prey until the night gave way to the early light of morning. As time marched on, it touched even the eldest of gods. An old Crom's figure took to leaning even more dramatically as the thick grass grew around his feet. The outer stones in his circle sloped and sank into the ground, some leaning inwards and others outwards as though they were broken teeth. Offerings to Crom waned as time wore on. A solitary cup of milk, or sheath of wheat? The body of a dead bird instead of a human child? Still, the villagers feared him, so on Samhain, Eve, they barred the doors of their homes and laid out powerful talismans to protect them from his wrath. And so things went on until a foreign man came, wearing the tall, coned hat of a priest. This man of British and Roman ancestry was called Patricius in Latin, or Patrick in English. He came in service to a new, eastern god. Armed with righteousness, his new religion, and filled with determination, Patrick planned to destroy the demon's lair, on As he approached the stone circle on the plane of prostration, Patrick thought he could hear the echoing of old screams, and smell the scent of blood on the wind. He clutched his crozier, which is a hooked staff, tightly, and called out, "'Michael, grant me your protection and be my shield.' Stand with me and let your sword flame so I may strike down this spawn of Moloch. A cloud began to cover the sun, obscuring its comforting light, and the wind rose to a howl momentarily, and then fell uncomfortably silent. Even the singing of the birds ceased. Undeterred, Patrick strode into the stone circle, where he saw the central figure, glowing with an unnatural light. It seemed to straighten itself, and as it did so, its old flanks turned from a dull gray to a vibrant gold. From within this pillar of light, a deep voice asked, Who comes to me? Crom stretched out his arms, and Patrick took an uncertain step in the direction of this beckoning but menacing form. The wrath he'd felt so driven by moments before, suddenly deserted him, only to be replaced by the overwhelming urge to bend in supplication before Krom, this ancient, ever-living creature. "'Come to me,' bellowed Krom. "'You abandon the practices of your forebears to follow foreign gods, but you shall soon see the error of your ways.' Witness my glory and cast that crook away from you. You may herd all the sheep you wish, but it is I who brings forth the harvest. Patrick lurched forward, involuntarily drawn to Crom like a moth to a flame. He could see a beautiful, mesmerizing face in the golden light emanating from Crom, but in the space of a mere moment, that stunning face melted away and was replaced by a vision from a nightmare. There was now a gaping mouth exuding the scent of decomposition and brimstone. Bleh. Yeah.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Rotten eggs anybody? Rotten <laughs> eggs. The voice came forth again. I am Crom Cruach, and you shall bow before me, holy man. You will be the one to slake the thirst I have so long needed to quench. Patrick drew back in revulsion and fright and said, No, demon, you will never take me. AKA not today, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> As he cried out, he swung his crow's ear with great force at Crom's gold-wreathed form. Crom hissed and reared back swinging his head to and fro, but Patrick struck at him again with his crozier, hitting Krom across the shoulder. Fire and a foul odor jetted forth as Krom screamed with rage. Patrick knew he could not let up for a moment, so he struck again. This blow caused the entirety of Krom's left shoulder to break away with an audible crack. The piece flew off, Struck another stone and then fell to the ground where it crumbled to pieces. Crom writhed from the pain and its aura began to fade. Still, his stony form was taller than any man and the threat he posed was not over. Patrick yelled out, Return to the pit from whence you came. I'm hearing that in my head in Gandalf's voice
2: from you know what i'm talking about from when he's
1: like confronting the balrong and he's like you shall not pass so Uh just like project ian mckellen's voice into your head instead of mine because it sounds a lot (laughs) scarier if it's coming from like a deep bellowy voice and not mine he swung the crozier once more with all of his might the staff cut through Crom's terrifying face and buried itself deep in the gash of his stony mouth. He fish-hooked him. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> As Patrick pulled hard to get his crozier free, he stumbled backward. When at last the staff broke away, it brought with it a searing shower of hot, brittle stone from Crom's face which flew through the air like shrapnel, cutting and burning Patrick's face and beard. Mm. Now, I don't have any facial hair, but I have to assume that having your beard catch on fire is bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it would smell really bad, too.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But he fought through the intense pain and struck one final blow with his trusty crozier. With this strike... The stony pillar turned completely black with just a faint wreath of smoke still around it. And the top was shorn clean off. So there's no top on the pillar. I think we can assume that he kind of cut his head off. Metaphorically speaking.
0: He's full headless, not nearly headless, right? He's not nearly headless,
1: Nick.
2: (laughs) It's not hanging on there at all. (laughs) Full headless.
1: Sir Nicholas, if you don't mind. (laughs) above the clouds parted and the sun became fully visible once more the birds resumed their chipper songs in the nearby trees and bushes and the stones of the outer circle fell the rest of the way to the ground and broke into hundreds of pieces with a loud crack patrick stood with blood trickling from his burned and scratched cheeks but a smile stretched across his face as he realized he had won. My God has triumphed over this ancient evil, he cried out with pride, before stepping over the ruins of Crom's former circle. Patrick then rushed to the closest village to tell all of the locals that Crom had been vanquished. After the sun sank beneath the hills that night, Clouds gathered in the sky and unleashed a thick downpour of rain over the plain of prostration, washing away the ashes of the shattered pillar that once was Crom Cruach. That's
2: a story. That's intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have to admit that the whole time I'm thinking about Patrick swinging that little hook to the crooked thing. All I could picture was like when a little old lady's trying to beat off a mugger. That sounds wrong. <laughs> beat off a mugger.
0: <laughs> Those are not
2: the good words for that. <laughs> In
0: a literal sense, not a sexual sense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> trying to beat back a mugger, there we go. Bend off a mugger. With like a she has her little walking cane with the little balls on the bottom and she's cracking them. Put the balls on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> That's Patrick. And he's like, my God we will win.
0: See, and like the whole time you were painting this beautiful picture of this like epic battle. Mm-hmm. I was picturing like a cut scene where it's just like this dude with a, a big old staff just like beating on a giant rock. <laughs> like he's like LARPing almost. Just being
2: like, pew, <laughs> pew, <laughs> I cast you out. Pew, pew, pew. He sure did find himself pretty impressive for beating up a rock, didn't he?
1: Well, you know, it was a scary rock and it smelled bad. (laughs) It did
2: smell bad, that's
0: true. I mean, that's what happens when you throw a bunch of milk on a a rock. centuries
2: worth of rotten, spoiled milk.
0: Yum.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's a good story, but like I said, we have to... Obviously, except that it's been heavily influenced by Christianity, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it kind of deeply grosses me out that they're like, oh, he, this foreign man came in and saved the day and all of the heathens were rescued. And it's Mm -hmm. like, fuck you. But, you know, I wasn't there in the 1600s. I'm just kidding. I was there. (laughs) Okay, now that we've devoured our main course and savoured its really old flavors...
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well aged.
1: I know, but really old is so much more offensive. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's time for a quick break to cleanse the palate before dessert. Welcome back. I hope you're ready for dessert because it's ready to go. And also, it would help if you were kind of a cannibal. (laughs) What? Oh, no. No, no. no. Calm down, because we're going fairly literal for this week's Where Else Do We See This segment. And we're going to look at some other cultures where we see gods who are worshipped via human sacrifice.
2: Uh Ah, there are a lot of
0: those. How much time do we have? Um,
1: don't worry, I only picked a couple, but yeah, we could have been doing this until we all died. <laughs> I'm going to start off with Moloch, who was mentioned in our myth because St. Patrick was all, Crom Cruach, you're the spawn of Moloch. Well, who the fuck is that? <laughs> the good news is I looked it up so I know the answer. <laughs> so, Moloch is a Canaanite deity who is mentioned in the hebrew bible as being a god who is sometimes worshipped in israel um the god is associated with human sacrifice specifically of children you know like our buddy Mm -hmm. crom he likes the young meat
2: gross (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's
1: the freshest yeah, I mean, I assume it probably... Uh, I can't. I can't even has, make myself it, finish
0: that. <laughs> hasn't been tainted by life yet.
1: You just wanted to say taint. Taint. Because <laughs> I said mushrooms so much and you couldn't stop thinking about <laughs> it. You know,
0: I was like, taint. <laughs> taint juice.
1: Okay, so there is some debate by scholars dating back to the mid-1930s when Otto Icefeld, not ice like frozen water and felt that shit you buy at the craft store it's (laughs) ice Mm e-i-s-s felt Um, he first proposed that Moloch might not be a deity at all but rather a word for a very specific form of sacrifice this hinges on his analysis of the mentions of Moloch in punic inscriptions where he noted the word mlk with the same spelling was being used in discussions about sacrifice itself so he was like hey maybe that's not even a god maybe it's just when you sacrifice stuff since the medieval period Moloch has generally been depicted as an idol with the head of a bull and human hands outstretched over a fire
2: that's gross
1: yeah well, it has a source. Well, actually, that's a lie. It has several sources. Uh, <laughs> so this image comes from a combination of places, including the brief mentions of Moloch in the Bible, ancient accounts of child sacrifice by the Carthaginians, and the Greek legend of the Minotaur. For some reason, I oh, know I was going to mm-hmm. say the Minotaur. Minotaur. We. St- I got to do that at some point. That's like a, a bonus episode or something. Because we're never getting back there. <laughs> Everyone loves a labyrinth and a minotaur. Um, did I really do that? <laughs> Alright, I did. So we're just going to go there. <laughs> I wrote this and I was very tired. So apparently I forgot this whole section was even in here. And that's okay. <laughs> so this part is a little... <sighs> I don't know how to say it's not probably not technically sacrifice, but mm, I feel like it kind of is. (laughs) So there's another part of the Hebrew Bible, you know, the Old Testament. If you're Christian, that's the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would like to make a connection to that. And that section is the plague of the firstborn in the book of Exodus.
2: I was thinking about that earlier. Mm -hmm.
1: So for those who aren't familiar with the overall story here, the book of Exodus is about the struggle of Moses and his God to free the enslaved Israelites from the Egyptian Pharaoh. The Pharaoh refuses to set the Israelites free, saying he does not know Moses' God, Yahweh. So God's like, all right, bet. I am going (laughs) to do
2: this.
1: (laughs) Don't challenge deities to stuff like it doesn't ever end well for for humans like it's just not a good idea so uh he was like all right i am going to deliver 10 plagues onto egypt and this is how the egyptians will know that i am almighty we're not gonna do the first nine because they don't really have anything to do with our story so i'm gonna skip to the last one which is the plague of the firstborn and I'm going to go ahead and do something I haven't done in many years, which is quote briefly from the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is Exodus um, chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. This is what the Lord says About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. To the firstborn of the slave girl who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than there has ever been or will be again so not only is he taking the firstborn sons of all of the humans but we are striking down the cattle as well which also reminds me of Crom because mm-hmm. he was like, Give me your cattle. Mm -hmm. And later, it was okay to switch it to milk, but before that, he was like, no, you're going to dash some cattle heads against Mm -hmm. my pillar. So I feel like, yeah, this is the god of a rival people taking the lives of the firstborn sons, including livestock, in retribution for the local king's refusal to comply with the demands of the rivals. It sounds like an awful lot like the core story of Krom Kruik
2: it really does mm-hmm.
1: even though it's not technically a sacrifice because you know we can't have the christian god demanding human sacrifices then we would be barbarians mhm all right so for our last stop this evening i give you the aztec supreme god huitzilopochtli this guy is interesting <laughs> <laughs> So, in the Aztec religion, Huitzilopochtli was the god of the sun, of war, and of human sacrifice. The primary goal of offering human sacrifices to him was to protect the Aztec people from the infinite night, aka to make sure that the sun continued to rise each day. According to records from the Spanish conquistadors, who, you know, I don't have good feelings about as we've already <laughs> it's come up before we've got bad blood I just did another Taylor Swift thing in the middle I of was the story just
0: too. <laughs>
1: I didn't mean to do that one but it's too late to take it back <laughs> so it's out there we've got bad blood okay there was never mad love though so it's not the same <laughs> Um, But according to the Spanish conquistadors, human sacrifices typically took place during worship ceremonies, which were held in various Aztec temples, and it was typical for multiple victims to be sacrificed in a single day. So it's not like a one-and-done situation. This is apparently a very bloodthirsty god, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Comparisons here are probably pretty obvious.
2: (laughs) Sounded like a fart. I thought it was you, Emily. No,
1: (laughs) No, River growled because she's being a butthole.
2: She's impersonating one really well.
1: (laughs) She's probably sick of the sound of my voice. It's fine. Um, So anyway, like I said, comparisons are probably pretty obvious, but I hope you'll indulge me a little bit because I want to add some other stuff. While it's difficult to say what specifically Krom Kruik was the god of, we do see a very close association between Krom and the sun. As accounts of him mention the glowing light and heat emanating from the stone pillar that is Krom. So that is a strong association with Witsi Lopochtli, who is god of both the sun and human sacrifice. Multiple victims in a single day is also a tie between them, although there is no specification in ancient Aztec religion for the sacrifices to necessarily be children or firstborns, at least. So thankfully, it's not like, bring out all the babies in this situation. Adults were acceptable. Well, that's
0: good. Well, Come on yeah. out, Todd. <laughs> Come on out. Hey, Carl. What's going on?
2: <laughs> oh, Carl, we're so glad you joined the party. Where are we going? <laughs> we needed a backup.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: lo Lopochtli is also strongly associated with gold, which is fascinating because Krom is made of stone silver and gold. And when he walks, he leaves a trail of molten gold behind him. So it's like, even though it doesn't sound like in the original description there's all that much gold there, it sounds like it's mostly stone. Mm-hmm. Somehow, when he walks, he's leaving molten gold. So figure that out because I can't. I really can't. Other cultures known to have practiced human sacrifice in religious contexts include the Vikings, on whom the Fomorians were purportedly based. The Carthaginians, the Mayans, the Phoenicians, the ancient Chinese, the Mesopotamians, and a lot of other ones. I just wanted to Mm -hmm. be like, hey, I know about a bunch of other ones, too, from all over the world. So you can get a little bit of a sampling. But I know we kind of look at this as something that's maybe... I mean, definitely we look at it as something from our perspective, looking back, as barbaric. In nature and not something that would have happened in you know the good religions with the good gods but it's like that's in the bible too sorry <laughs> we just decided to couch it as a plague instead mm-hmm. of being like i will drink the blood of the innocent mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily as limited as a practice as we might like to think that it was when we look back on it in reality it was actually practiced farther across the world than most of your religious studies classes will want to admit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so does anybody have anything good they want to share so we can stop thinking about a bunch of people being
2: murdered? I I do. Go okay. ahead. So uh, at my uh, summertime position, I'm supervising four undergrads. And they're really cool. I'm going to throw out their names. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So it's Jared, Jesse, Avery, and Keegan that I'm uh, supervising for the summer. And they're four really cool kids and they're super into the research. And Yeah, I'm calling them kids. They're like, (laughs) they're almost 20 years younger than me. They're kids. (laughs) But they're cool. And it's been really exciting getting to know them and watch them get excited about research. And I walk them out to my... My little stand of chestnuts the other day Because you know I get nerdy excited about my chestnuts And I'm out there giving them these huge Speeches about science And you're going to make a difference in the world And they're like, great Awesome, so inspired I hope (laughs) And then on the way back One of them says something ridiculous And they start talking about how She needs to have a podcast And I said, I have a podcast (laughs) And they're like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, just be prepared. It's really inappropriate.
0: <laughs> You're going to look at me different if you listen to it.
2: <laughs> so we may be tuning in here sometime soon. <laughs> so shout out, guys. Nice.
0: My something good is as we were recording, I got a text from my dad thanking me for the Father's Day gift that I sent to him. I got him this really awesome massager that has like a heating thing in it and it can do your shoulders, but it can also do like your lower back. It can do your legs. It can do your hips. And the only reason I knew about it is because one of my old coworkers brought it to work one time. (laughs) And I have a picture of me that I can share. And it's got like these little like hand thing so you can still do so you can like hold it in place by like basically like wearing it like a brace type <laughs> of thing and i'm like typing on my laptop as i've got this like, giant <laughs> like massager along my like <laughs> upper back and my neck yeah it's pretty amazing the heating element is probably my favorite part because it just like slowly gets warm as it's like massaging you
2: mm-hmm. nice you got gonna get yourself one of those one of these days
0: I'm going to heavily hint that I want one for my birthday.
2: (laughs) (coughs) Buy it. (coughs) (coughs) Look at
0: this. Send in the link. (laughs) I would like this delivered before my birthday. Please and thank you. (laughs) Hint, hint, hint. Happy birthday to me.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess I have a thing. It's so freaking nerdy, though, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so my good thing that i'm excited about right now is that i am working on a bonus episode for this show and I, it was something that i kind it was pure serendipity it's something that i just kind of happened upon One day when I was like, I need to listen to a podcast, but I want to listen to something that's like serialized. So it's the same story for several Mm -hmm. episodes instead of skipping around so much. Mm -hmm. So I was looking through some different stuff and not having a lot of success. I tried a few things that weren't working for me at all that I like immediately turned off. And then this one popped up as a suggestion from Spotify And I turned it on and literally within like 30 seconds, I was like, if I don't find out everything I can about this, I will die of
0: curiosity. (laughs) It's
1: like, it's the weirdest slash coolest story. And a huge chunk of it has taken place during our lifetimes. And I had never heard of it.
2: What is it?
1: Um, I don't want to give, like, too much away because, like, I want to preserve the reactions for when oh, we do okay, the okay. recording. But it's and this is the reason why it's a bonus episode, by the way, because not only does it just so happen to hail from India, which we've already done. But technically, the only way it's related to our show is because it's kind of an urban legend, but like, not really. So mm-hmm. it's.
0: You can stop there. You don't have to spoil it if you don't want to.
1: I'm trying to think of like a cute little nugget that I can give everyone so that they'll really want to hear it. Okay, here's the little snippet that I had before I started listening because I don't think it'll actually ruin what's going to unfold. But basically, imagine you found out that there was a royal family living in a jungle in the middle of Delhi but like in the 21st century.
2: Huh. That's an interesting concept. In the middle of Delhi? Yeah,
1: there is a fo- there's a jungle forest in Delhi. And really?
2: they were I did not living know that.
1: This story is so crazy. So if you are at all familiar with it, I think you'll probably know what I'm talking about already. But if you're not, holy shit, this story is crazy. <laughs> And nothing is what it seems like it is.
0: So I think, I think I know what you're I think I know what you're talking about.
1: I filled almost an entire legal pad with handwritten <laughs> like notes from the ep- the three episodes that there were of that podcast, and then I read every article that I could find online that isn't just like repeating the same. Mm-hmm stuff over and over again so it's like i feel really good about it that's probably the most excited i've been by a random piece of information for a really (laughs) long time (laughs) so i have i think i'm finally done like i think i'm finally just gonna call it a day i mean i have almost a whole legal pad and our episodes are only like somewhere between like usually 45 minutes and like an hour and 15 or 20. I don't think we've had anything that's like much longer than that. So I'm sure I have more than enough. (laughs) (laughs) But it's it's a really good story and I'm excited about it.
2: I'm looking forward to hearing it. You pick such interesting stories.
1: I am just like a weird person who likes weird things.
0: You're in good company. I mean, <laughs> we also like weird things.
1: I know. That's how this happened. <laughs> a gritty wine. Gritty wine leads to a lot of things. <laughs> and flaming sheep. <laughs> well, I miss Prometheus. I wonder how he's doing. <laughs> There's probably nothing left of him at this point.
2: Nope. So you did, uh, since you mentioned it, that we're going to be doing bonus episodes. I thought maybe we could we we never talk about what we do for Patreon or some of the the bonus stuff that we do or how people can help us out if they if they want to support us. So I was thinking maybe we could talk really quickly about what we're doing with Patreon. Some of the changes that we've made. So we still have the three seven and fifteen dollar tiers. So it's the same tiers, but we added We made it so that all the tiers will get the early ad-free access to every episode and uh, the outtake blooper reel. And then I think at the the $7 level, you get bonus episodes. So these are episodes that you cannot hear anywhere else. So you'll get an extra episode every month. And then if you're at the $15 tier, you get all of that plus a bonus video so you get to see our lovely faces every month.
1: Just don't look at my part of the video. Just look at <laughs> look at them. Don't look at me. You're beautiful.
2: <laughs> you get the bonus video. I think you get to choose a, a, like a region or a topic if there's something that you're interested in. And you can uh, vote in polls. So once we start having people sign up, oh, everybody gets a shout out too. We'll give you all a shout out. But once you start uh, signing up, we can do polls and you can vote on what you want the next merge to be or something. So that's that's some of what we have going on with Patreon. And, you know, if you want to be able to support us, a really good, easy, free way to do it is tell freaking everybody you know about this horrendously inappropriate and hilarious podcast that you listen to on repeat because <laughs> you know it's happening <laughs> and then go out and rate and review you could do it on like PodChaser. you could do it on apple there are a couple different places that you can rate and review and stuff like that really helps us to grow so if you want other people to tune in and laugh along with you like we laugh at ourselves and each other make sure you're telling people about it yes what she
1: said But not like in a that's what she said way, because nothing that was just said was dirty. So, no,
2: I'm sure we could find a way to make it dirty on this podcast.
1: Probably. But, you know, I can't think of any way right off the top of my head at the moment. Mm,
2: Bonus content. Balls. (laughs) 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 <laughs> just throw some balls in there <laughs> we went the whole episode ball free
0: <laughs> no we didn't you mentioned dennis balls at the bottom of a,
2: but that wasn't balls balls those are tennis yeah balls. but you
0: said balls the balls <laughs> at the end of our cane
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness okay so before we close up our pizzeria for the night we'd like to share a review from one of our very satisfied patrons so our review today comes from p leonard 86 and it's titled the only pineapple pizza i'm interested in i dig i dig more than indiana jones on an acid trip i'm really (laughs) into my urban legends and mythologies love their take on the subjects Great hosts, great show. Keep up the fabulous work. Looking forward to more.
2: Thank you. Thank that you. That a lot. That gave me a chuckle.
1: I know it did, because <laughs> why wouldn't we come back to hallucinogens yet again? <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? And you know what? I didn't pick that one beforehand. That's just the one that's at the top. I want everyone to know I didn't plan it. <laughs> it's just how things roll here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for that super fun pop culture reference review. We love it. Thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a sanguinary slice of Irish mythology. Pineapple pizza podcast, sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do. Really big? (laughs) Question (laughs) mark.
0: If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our tea Public shop for some amazingly
2: fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice. Because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget the $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and
0: $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pineapp Pizza Pod. That's Pine App APP, Pizza Pod. You can also send us
1: questions, comments, and topic ideas at pineapppizzapod A-P-P, at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held
2: responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels, and just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome, and we love you.